John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, it's me, Ed Peterson. Oh, hi, Ed. It's me, John Kiltica. John, yeah. you got a cool guitar today. I do have a cool guitar today. It's the High Game Podcast. We talk about cool guitars. Yeah, that's what we try to stick with. Maybe some amps, effects pedals, but, you know, it tends to be guitars. Yeah. Where are we? We are in beautiful West Seattle, Washington. I walked up today. Uh-huh. It's not raining, but I can feel it coming. Yeah, it's overcast, and I think that rain is coming with us. But, you know... Yeah? We've got a guest today, Ed. Oh. He might know a little something about rain. Northern California, does it rain a lot there? At certain times of the year, it sure does. Oh! A guest. That is Barry Gresbick of Gres Guitars. You've got one of those in your hands. Yeah, hi, Barry. Hey, guys. You're in Petaluma? That's right, Northern California, just north of San Francisco, near the wine country. I kind of want to imagine you're just out amongst massive redwood trees hiding in the woods. That would be nice. I actually do have some redwood trees in my yard, which is pretty cool. The Siskiyous right there in Northern California is just a brutal little drive, but it's beautiful. Our man Barry? Yeah. Not originally from California. Seattle. West Seattle. Take a guess. <laughs> um, How's this? How you doing? Did you hear that? Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh, no. What exit are you from there in Jersey? (laughs) I have never been to New Jersey, but I feel like I've lived there just from the amount of time John and I have talked about Jersey. Did you live near the, is it the Pine Barrens? That's south. I was really in what I think is the most beautiful part of New Jersey, which was northwestern, sort of closer to the Delaware water gap than to Manhattan. Okay. The terrain was carved by the glaciers, just lots of lakes and hills and woods and cornfields. It's just really beautiful out there. I just picture, you know, Sopranos. <laughs> right. You know, that's what Jersey looks like in my brain. It's just strip clubs and terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> Barry's from Sparta. 
Oh, that's cool. That's right. Florida Lake Mohawk. Yeah, it's a little north and west of where I'm from. So if you uh, start in the armpit part yeah. around Newark, where <laughs> okay. I'm from, and then sure. just get increasingly nicer, you'll end up at Barry's house. If you keep going, you end up kind of like by the Poconos, things like that. Yeah. Really up in the mountains if you keep going. Jersey comes up a lot on this show. It does feel like there's a lot of guitar folk from there. I'm finding the longer we do this, the more people we meet from there that left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beverages. Yes, Ed, beverages. Barry? Yeah. Do you have a beverage? I do. I've got oh. a nice cappuccino I made just moments before I sat down here. Ooh. Nice. And in uh, honor of this fine occasion, made this cappuccino with espresso beans I had brought in from Fulcrum up in Seattle. Oh, oh. lovely. Up here visiting and took some back. Is that legal? Yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that, are you? Uh-oh. <laughs> they don't ask about beans. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about your coffee rig. Oh. Oh, it's a giant Astra machine. I've had it for, I don't know, 20 years. Back then, commercial-ish machines for your house didn't really exist. Like now it's super common for these like little machines that look like a commercial machine. Yep. But back then, this was like the only one that would run on 120 volts and would fit in your kitchen. That's awesome. Do you have it plumbed in? It is plumbed in, yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, and it's lasted all this time because... Being commercial, you can just completely disassemble it and fix anything that breaks, right? It's lasted 20 years and it's just going to keep going. Yep. I went through like three juicers. There's all these plastic parts that just break and then you can't get replacements. And it's like, what am I doing? Yeah. Now Ed has like a industrial jet engine yeah. <laughs> juicer. The lights in the house dim when you fire it up. You know, how many of these things am I going to throw into a landfill that the aliens are going to find in a million years? That's right. Before you get one, that'll just last. Yeah. Exactly. What are you drinking, Ed? I got coffee. Uh -huh. It's in a crow mug. That's good. And I have a protein smoothie, Minor Figures Barista Oat Milk Light with some Vega protein powder, strawberries and raspberries. Oh, and there's a banana in here, too. Doing your thing. Yeah. What about you? I, too, have coffee because mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. And I kind of went old school. I've got a Schweppes ginger ale. <laughs> Remember those? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had one of these since I had a stomach ache in kindergarten. Is that bottled in Jersey? That seems like a Jersey thing. Is Schweppes Jersey? I don't know. It's got a real Jersey vibe to it. Texas. Oh, okay. Okay, so what I've got here today, Ed. Yeah. Barry already knows this because he sent it to us. Yeah. A model called the Mendocino. Okay. As I mentioned, it's a baritone. Mm -hmm. Let me show you something, Ed. Oh, I'm okay. going to hand this over to Ed because oh, I want Ed to feel the weight of it. I'm going to love it. I can tell. It's going to be like six pounds. Oh, it's not six pounds, it's is it? It's probably less, I yeah. think. Wow, that's awesome. The neck is awesome. Oh, man. The tailpiece on it. What are they called? The floating tailpiece thing. Trapeze. It's solid. That thing's not going anywhere, is it? Bent steel? Laser cut, 12-gauge stainless steel. That's cool. 
It looks to be mahogany neck and body? Yep, Honduran mahogany neck and body. I'm guessing you chambered the bejesus out of this for it to be this light. Yeah, I sort of think about it like an acoustic guitar. Like any wood that doesn't need to be there isn't there. (sighs) My man. It's not chambered. It's truly a semi-hollow instrument. It's got two gold foils. These are Lawler's, Ed. Okay. Pick up selector, tone, and volume. Let's just go up into the neck there. It's pretty necky and low. Should we do the treble test? Yeah. How trebly can this treble go? Listen there. to that. Yeah, that's, that's nice, great. huh? One thing I noticed on the beverage song, John. Yeah. No effects. You've been running this thing clean. Normally, we get a guitar in, and the first thing you do is click like 19 buttons in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't exactly an invitation, but sure. (laughs) The top is redwood. You probably noticed that, Ed, but it is all reclaimed. Is that right? Yes. You can't cut down the really good old redwood trees anymore, of course. The way to get that wood is from old structures, bridges, tunnels, buildings, things like that. Is that something that people go out and harvest and then you have to go somewhere and buy it from them? Yeah, I don't usually salvage the wood myself. Like I can't personally go take a bridge down or a factory, (laughs) (laughs) right? That's a specialty. But I know some of the people who do, and the idea of reclaiming wood has just become so common now yeah. that it's in a way gotten easier because people, especially around these parts, they kind of understand that the old wood shouldn't be just thrown away or tossed in the chipper for mulch. Right. There's a store in Seattle, Second Use. They specialize in going and taking down houses and old buildings, and then they just resell it. Yeah. It's nice to see how much more common that's become in in a lot of cities, I think. Yeah. Some sort of place that attempts to salvage as much as possible. Yeah. Although I do like the image in my head of Barry taking down a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) I am buying freaking large timbers, though, from bridges. So it may not be taking the bridge down, but it's not like I'm buying these little tiny sticks of wood to make guitars out of. Like these are, you know, sometimes beams that have to show up on flatbeds. Wow. Yeah. This guitar, was it literally a bridge or? The one you have actually was a municipal water tank up in Lake Tahoe that was built in the 40s. Wow. That's (laughs) so great. And I have photos of that tank as it was being disassembled. You can actually know where it came from, sometimes even see the thing it used to be. So when you send the guitar off, you send some archival package with it? Sometimes. I should probably do a little better job of case candy, right? But people will often ask, because that's one of the reasons people are coming to me. We often have a conversation, and I'll be texting photos to people of the log or the bridge or the whatever that their top came from. For sure. I am not the Tonewood guy on the show. That said, if I knew like this was an old bank or something, I would be very into the tone wood at that point. Right. I have some wood from an old train tunnel and the boards on the outside are basically black from soot. Mm-hmm. This is from the late 1800s, right? Right. Uh, all cold fired trains. So when I cut up and book match and join these tops, I leave a little bit 
of the outside of the wood. So you end up with this faint dark streak down the middle. And to the uninitiated, you might think, oh, that was a bad glue joint because I can see where the joint is. But really what you're seeing is the soot stain that I left there on purpose. That's awesome. That is from a train tunnel. That dark streak is soot. Is the majority of this stuff you get a matter of you contacting somebody and buying it? Or do you run across the people like taking down the train tunnel? Usually it's me seeking out what's going on, what's coming down, what salvage yard has new stock coming in. Here in Petaluma, you know, historically we had a lot of chicken farming. So there's lots of chicken coops here. But all of these homes and chicken coops and small barns are really kind of lightly built structures. The wood that's coming out of them isn't big enough to build guitars out of. Right. At least not the way I like to build guitars, which is with very few glue joints from very big pieces of wood. So the typical salvage doesn't work. I've got to be looking for big things coming down, which gets us back to bridges and tunnels and giant water tanks and factories and things like that. How big is the billet you start with for a body this wide? Well, on that, just like on an acoustic guitar, they're almost never a one-piece top. They're always bookmatched. If you say an acoustic guitar is on average, let's say 16 inches across, right? Maybe a little bigger, a little smaller. So half of that is eight inches. You just need a board that's eight or nine inches wide, resaw off a bunch of slices and book match them. The Mendocino is really only a 13 and a quarter inch body. So if I have a piece of wood that's really nicely quartered and it's just a beautiful old piece of wood and it's only seven inches across, I can get tops out of it. Yeah. The solid bodies that I build out of redwood, those are one piece bodies. So those I really need giant boards. I've got boards that are, I don't know, six inches across and 16 inches tall, huge beams so that I can get a one piece body. And do you plane those yourself? Yes. Oh my God. You start with a chainsaw to whack off chunks of this giant board so I can move it around, right? And then it goes to a resaw where I kind of cut it up into three slices and then a big thickness planer to kind of clean it up and get it down. And then finally a wide belt sander to, you know, make it pretty and just right. Kind of a lot of big equipment to deal with these big boards. When did you start building? 2009. It was a very slow start, right? Because you kind of don't go from not building guitars to knowing how to build guitars and selling lots of them immediately. So it's not like you have the idea and then you're building 10 guitars a week. Yeah. You figure out how to build a guitar and you build one and that takes a long time. But then, you know, it's two and four and 10 and 15 and it goes from there. And you started on the acoustic side, right? I did. I was kind of fascinated with acoustic guitars. Still am, really. I enjoy building them, even though I don't do it as often. It's such a lightly built structure that's on the edge of wanting to explode. The really good ones are made so thin and so light. It's kind of the opposite of making a telly. A chunk of wood and a bandsaw, and you can make a telly. Yep. This was the opposite. It's hard to even know what to do. They talk about how to voice a guitar. But you can't translate that from words in a book to flexing a piece of wood and really understanding, is this the right thickness? I don't know. You have to kind of go for it and try it and learn. I like doing that. That's an interesting way to put it when you talk about voicing an instrument, vibrations and frequencies and all of that. Yeah. And the way that interacts with the material. Your technical background is in sound design itself, no? I still do a little bit, but for a long time, I worked as an acoustician. I designed the acoustics of venues and sound systems for venues. 
performing arts centers, schools, places of worship, basketball arenas, all sorts of places like that. I kind of came to guitar building with a really thorough understanding of resonance and materials. And that's kind of a good basis to start thinking about acoustic guitars, because that's a lot of what's happening there. Was there a different approach you wanted to take with that background in mind? Like, here's what I know about how sound works that's unique enough for me to bring to the building of these instruments. Well, I definitely was maybe self-aware enough to ask the question, why would anybody buy a guitar from me? Because you're swinging off a bridge, cutting down wood. That's why. (laughs) But in the beginning, right, like I built an acoustic guitar and it came out pretty good. But, you know, lots of people build one acoustic guitar and it came out pretty good. How is that going to translate into somebody giving me a bunch of money? And why is this different and unique? So I tried a few different things, and I kind of came to the conclusion that you have to master the building of a classic-styled acoustic guitar almost before you can then try to evolve it further. So coming at it as a product designer, trying to come up with a new idea when you weren't even an expert at building the basic instrument yet wasn't something that was revolutionary and going to get me anywhere. Right. I think one of the things that did really help, though, was taking what I knew about acoustics and what I've learned about building acoustic guitars and applying that to electric guitars. How can I make this more lively and interesting? I think of it as an evolution from an acoustic instrument. Doing the weirdo pivot here, I built out a home theater in my garage. Hmm. I've just been working on it for two months or something. Man, the acoustics need so much help. (laughs) People come over and they're just like, oh, this is awesome. And all I hear are these weird little pings. (laughs) I'm just like, what's that weird thing? And it makes me crazy. Do you get a lot of that? People are like, (laughs) I've got this living room. Yeah. Well, actually, I have very purposefully avoided residential work. Yeah. Yeah. I've really always been a commercial guy. Residential work has never appealed to me. And this is probably going to be terrible to say, but you know how we're all like nutso about guitars? Well, the home theater people are nutso about home theater. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and as a consultant trying to make a living, I want to come in, give you my expertise, try to help you figure out what you need to do, implement it, whatever. Yeah. But what I don't want to do is spend the next three days talking to you about all the cool gear because I'm trying to make a living, right? I put a ticket booth and a concession stand in my theater. So that sort of makes it commercial, right? Totally. <laughs> If you come over, Ed, will give you some red vines. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's got to be like the doctor at the party. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're a doctor. Hey, Hey, look at this thing. Does this look infected? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very elegant headstock with a slope that goes up in the middle, but there's a hole then drilled through it with a bushing in it. Show me that. Is there a symbolism to that? You know, I think in the guitar world, people talk about this all the time. It's really hard to come up with a headstock that looks unique, but doesn't look stupid. Yep. So this was sort of my attempt to be unique, but not weird. Maybe I succeeded. Maybe I didn't. The little stainless steel ring there adds a little bit of bling, which is kind of nice, but it's not like super complicated. It's pretty subtle. Yeah. Lots of people make things that are super close to a Gibson. And then there's those weird ones where like they'll just have a circle for the headstock or something really weird. And that just looks weird. It almost seems like in the main guitarists, even though they all want the cool guitar, they don't want it to be too different, more of a conservative group than you might 
guess, design-wise. Yeah. Absolutely more conservative than you would think in terms of their taste in guitars. I am super guilty of that, and it's only occurred to me, honestly, fairly recently on this show, where if Gibson makes something that's got a Fender flair to it or vice versa, I just hate it. Stay in your lane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm super stay in your lane guy. In some ways, I feel bad for Gibson because they are so bound by their tradition, right? If they do anything too different, it seems like their customers freak out on them. Yep. For sure. I'm guilty of it. I'm that guy. Oh, I'm terrible. <laughs> the thing I like about the Mendocino is the simplicity of the design, but it is evocative of other things. I can see 50s K and Harmony touches in here. Yeah, there's no question that I'm kind of influenced by the cheaper, funkier guitars trying to make something that plays well and works well and is gig worthy, but has some of the cool vibe of some of the funkier guitars from way back when, like the old Stratotones or something. Oh yeah, I totally get a Stratotone vibe. A little bit of that. We spend a lot of time on old Harmony K, like Chicago or the Japanese kind of import stuff from that period. And they're always super cool. And then you get them and it's just a complete crapshoot on if it's going to be playable at all <laughs> having those design aesthetics but in something that's pretty bulletproof yeah this guitar isn't going anywhere oh that's nice isn't it getting some effects going yeah i'm going chill here a little bit yeah. of trim a little bit of reverb it sounded awesome with whatever that fuzz is you're rocking <laughs> Let's put on some overdrive and some phaser. It is an electric guitar for sure, but the fact that it plays like an acoustic. It's got that sound to it. Yeah. Do you do a lot of baritones? It's a surprisingly popular model. You know, there's a lot of baritones in the world. Every company has a token baritone in the line just so they have one. But if you want a really good baritone, the list shrinks, right? I'm not the only one, of course, but it's not a giant list. Yeah. You know, and some people just want a baritone for once in a while and they get an inexpensive used Dano and it does the job and that's cool. Other times, you know, people really want something that is a better higher end instrument in all regards. And, you know, I'm one of the folks that can do that. One thing I have noticed, which is interesting, is the baritone is the one instrument of mine that has penetrated the most genres. It seems to be like, you know, not pigeonholeable. It works for all sorts of things. Like Barry says, everybody makes one, but right. this just responds differently. The Mendocino in general, whether it's the baritone or not, one of the ideas behind it was to make a small guitar that didn't sound small, right? You have like a 17-inch archtop, and you shrink it down to a 16, and then a 15, and a 14. And as the instrument gets smaller, it, it kind of inherently sounds smaller. Yeah, yeah. And then you get down to something that's really small like this, which is almost, you know, less Paul Telecaster size. From a design standpoint, it's really trying hard to sound bigger than it is. Are the Lollers the stock choice for you, or do you end up putting whatever anybody wants in it? 
I will put whatever people want in there. I think the Lawlers are a really good complement, especially the baritone. It just works super well in that baritone. Do you have 10 in progress right now? And how many of them are order specific versus, you know, an order is going to come in. So you just have it done. I always have 10 or 12 or so guitars in process of all the things that I make. Yep. But most of the time what we're building is already pre-sold. I would like to have things more in stock and you can click here and buy now. Right. But the sales volume is such that people are in line. Yeah. But we're really fast. It's usually eight weeks from deposit to shipping. Oh, that's not a horrible wait time. Yeah. Imagine a world where Ed Peterson gives you a call. <laughs> what I would want to know is the history of the wood you have that I could get the guitar in. Oh. Okay, you've got a bridge and you've got a water tower. <laughs> Do you have a bank? Do yep. you have a brothel? <laughs> Has anyone famous died in that building? I've got some from a creek bed if you love salmon. <laughs> wood from Ooh. a creek bed. What does that mean? Well, this is sort of amusing, I guess. You know, in the late 1800s, maybe they're cutting down these redwood trees. And if one of these logs rolls down the hill into the creek, you just sort of think, eh, whatever. And you just keep cutting because there's what seems like at the time a limitless number of trees. Yeah. Now, right, 150 years later, they're doing salmon habitat restoration and they're sometimes pulling these chunks of redwood out of these creeks. Oh, wow. So it's a piece of wood that's an old growth tree. It could have been a thousand year old tree. It was cut down a hundred years ago and it's just been laying in this creek bed. What does that do to the acoustics of the wood? I'm totally the guy that doesn't care, apparently. <laughs> but then I think, man, this old, super hard wood sat in a creek for a hundred years soaking up moisture and then you pull it out and dry it. Yeah, it takes forever to dry. The yeah. guy that I got it from had it for two years drying. And you pick it up and it's heavy. You can just tell by the weight of these things. Oh, this is not dry. Yeah. I'm probably going to have to sit on it for another couple of years before I can use it. That's awesome. And I guess if you try to force that process, it'll split or warp or something. Yeah. If you let it dry too fast, it checks. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to do this. I'm not recommending <laughs> anything from a business model or whatever. I'm just saying there are probably more than one weirdo like me that would want to pick based on the history of the wood. Right, right. So some guitar companies put up pictures of wood where you can select your top. I should put up pictures of buildings. Exactly. <laughs> I don't care what the wood looks like exactly. I care what the wood looked like 100 years ago when it was standing in a building. I'll put that in the suggestion box. Exactly. <laughs> suggestion exactly. box. <laughs> yeah. More bagels on Fridays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the next idea? What's floating around in your brain head? I am going to make a base six version of the instrument you have there. Ooh. I already make a short scale bass version of that baritone. And then, of course, there's the six string baritone. The base six is just an amalgamation of the two, right? I'm almost there already. You don't have to do the math with the base six. That's right. Keep it simple. <laughs> you got to try it. Try and decide. Hey, Ed. Yeah. The top on this is reclaimed from a really cool old place. Like a water tower, right? Yes. It's redwood. Mm-hmm. 
It's hollow. Okay. It's a baritone. The Grez Mendocino. Yeah. Buyer deny. Can I do my standard, like, you know? We're going to do the Peterson caveats? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I heard a rumor of potentially a base six version of this. Yeah. Buy. That's a buy. That's a buy. I heard there's potentially a double cutaway version. That's a buy. Uh Uh-huh. I'm kind of into black. That's a buy. What about the 12 string? Very into it. I would want to know where it's from. Maybe a creek bed? I don't know. (laughs) Right? I'm not sure if creek bed does it for me. Old movie theater. Ooh. Perfect. You'll be my first call. (laughs) You take all those caveats, put them in a blender, mix them up. Buy. It's a buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? Definitely a buy. Yeah. But you're a baritone dude. I'm a baritone dude, but this is not like any other baritone I've ever played. It's different. I appreciate hearing that. And you're part of the Redwood Foundation? That's right. The Redwood Forest Foundation is an organization that I work with to plant a redwood tree for every guitar we sell. Wow. And they do reforestation. You know, areas that have been clear cut decades and decades ago, um, they're going and planting hundreds of trees and just turning it back into redwood forests. Sustainability. That's so great. Yeah. Where can people get in touch with you, Barry? Grez, G-R-E-Z, grezguitars.com or grezguitars on YouTube or Instagram. What else? Facebook. That might be it. Those are all the places. Everywhere. He's got it all covered. And I would suggest anybody go look at these guitars. They are different than what you're going to see any old place. Maybe what we should do is post some pictures, John. Oh, should I take pictures of this? Yeah, put them on the internet. Novel. Yeah, throw them on the Instagrams. I will take all kinds of pictures of this. Mm -hmm. I think you did a great job today, John. Oh, I think Barry did a great job. We need to thank Barry for his time and maybe his patience. Yeah, knocked it out of the park, Barry. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you guys having me. That's cool. Don't forget, we are proud members of the Ruinous Media Network of music-related podcasts. Joe and the crew. Yeah, Joe Plummer, the drummer. Yeah. And company. They're great. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot. See you guys. Okay, see ya.